0: Reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate.
1: This is Greg Olson, here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, An unmatched dual threat.
0: Hey, welcome to another episode of Purple Insider, Matthew Collar here, along with Mike Renner from PFF in the wonderful Two for One podcast, um, which covers the NFL Draft and college football. Now, Mike... Um, What's the deal with college football? <laughs> what is happening? Man, um, I
1: mean, like, anyone listening's guess is as good as my guess. I, I have no insight inside info. Anytime I feel like we're trending the right way, there's just a gut punch. And uh, I think it's going to be – I think we're going to play college football. and not. I don't think everyone's going to play college football. Obviously, like UConn already has dropped out. It might just be – it might be like SEC, Big Ten. It might not be even every Power Five conference. But there will be football games this fall. I feel strongly about that, at least.
0: So here's the Gophers. And I want to get into a couple of Vikings things with you, especially the idea of Ezra Cleveland playing guard. Uh, but... Here's, here's the Gophers. They have this great season. The program is on the rise. Oh, my gosh, finally, the Gophers have a football team worth caring about. They have a first-round wide receiver who is about to light the NCAA the F up. And then COVID comes, and Rashad Bateman opts out, and now what? Um, give, well, first, give me your take draft-wise on Rashad Bateman because I think he's got a good chance at a first-round pick, and then how that impacts the Gophers with him opting out.
1: I love Bateman as a prospect. To me, he's in that sort of uh, DeAndre Hopkins, Michael Thomas vein of wide receiver where they're a little bigger, you know, 60, 6'2", 210, I think, like just strong and to where big enough that, uh, you know, when guys get their hands on him, when cornerbacks get their hands on him, he can shrug them right off. Like he's strong enough to do that to where he's not going to get physically overpowered, but also kind of light enough. And at that size, another guy like a Devontae Adams is kind of similar size where light enough where – he can get off the line of scrimmage without even, you know, needing that power. He has the quickness still to separate there at the line and along his route tree. So that versatile body type that uh, even without the high-level athleticism, I think we're going to be kind of looking back on his career in the NFL, sort of like we do with DeAndre Hopkins and Michael Thomas in the draft-wise, where it's like, how'd those guys fall to where they did? They're just good at everything about their receiver position, except they're not elite-level athletes. I think that's Rashad Bateman, non-elite-level athlete, probably going to drop to the – I was talking about this with Daniel Jeremiah that he probably like the 25 to 35 range in the drafts where he probably comes off the board, but then he's going to get to the NFL and be very NFL ready, like a guy like AJ Brown was last year, where I just think he has that all-around skill set that that's what you want. You know, you don't want you don't need to chase that little little athleticism. Sometimes you just need good football players.
0: Now, is it it just me, Mike, or in recent years, have we seen this kind of happen a lot with good receivers where they end up in the second round or they end up in the third round because there's something missing, but the bigger picture on the guy was a football player, a really good football player seems to go missed. I don't know if it's just the randomness of wide receivers, but it seems like some of the first rounders who are taken end up being busts and we end up finding a lot of gems a little later on in recent
1: years. See, it, it, I think it comes down to the athleticism aspect of it, or it's just the traits aspect of it. Everyone in the first round wants to hit, swing for the fences. Like that's, like that's kind of a universally held idea, is that you don't draft this guy who's an average athlete or has these average traits in the first round, even if he has exceptional ability on the football field. It's shown that he can win uh, against high-level competition. So I think that's just sort of the way the NFL works, and the wide receiver's position especially. It's it's called a skill position for a reason. Like It takes skill to get open, to run routes, to haul in contested catches. Not anyone who's just fast is able to get open at the NFL level, as we've seen repeatedly. So uh, I, I think you see teams chase those traits too much as opposed to getting those good football players.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good point. And just as an aside, before I ask you a, a, a couple of other questions about you know the Gophers and where they're going to be at, um, Justin Jefferson, I feel like, is the, the, the two things coming together. Like he has sort of a natural football player skill. Mm-hmm. When he's got the ball in his hands, he can make plays. He has the contested catches. But also a surprisingly good athletic profile that I think could help him step in right away, even if things are a little bit wonky here with this offseason.
1: Yeah, I think so, and I came around on the fact that, yes, a lot of his production was from the slot last year, and a lot of it was not necessarily, uh, you know, it wasn't necessarily him beating a guy one-on-one, which is, I think, the most translatable aspect of the position to the NFL. If you can beat man coverage, you'll beat man coverage at pretty much any level. So uh, he didn't face a ton of that, but I do think when you saw him have to get off the line of scrimmage against press coverage, and, yes, press in the slot's a little different because you have more options in terms of going, uh, inside-outside, more release package that you can do. But I just think he has that, like you said, the physical aspect of it to get off the line of scrimmage easily, and, and that's going to translate well to the NFL. So I do think that he can make an immediate impact, even if it's going to be a very new role for him there this upcoming season. So let me bounce back.
0: Are the Gophers screwed, by the way, before I ask you about other stuff?
1: Yes. Uh, I mean, he was <laughs> Bateman, that offense – what they do relies on a lot of times one wide receiver beating the guy across. Like they, I think it was the most RPO heavy offense in college football. Like they ran it on the most amount of plays in an RPO. You got one read, you got one guy you're going to like on a slant route or maybe a go route. And he has to win against that one-on-one matchup on to, to make that RPO uh, viable. And, no one that they have now is going to win the way Rashad Bateman won last year. Like, they were so good because they had two guys that could do that, in Tyler Johnson and Rashad Bateman. So uh, replacing both of them in one offseason, I, I think you'll see Tanner Morgan's uh, numbers slip here.
0: Do you think he's legit? Do you think he's an NFL prospect, Tanner Morgan?
1: His arm strength and release right now are just – his arm strength's not great. His release is a little wonky. And I, I think he's still, like, accuracy will – can still get you in the door. But I don't think we're talking about like legit NFL prospect. I don't think he's anything more than like a day three guy at this point.
0: So if you were uh, a first round potential draft pick, would you be opting out at this moment like Rashad Bateman did? Like, what do we think of these decisions? I mean, I, I guess I would, if I were in that position, I would assess how my college was handling COVID first and then sort of decide. But, you know, we're seeing some guys that are going to be very high draft picks not put an extra year on tape and i wonder how the nfl will look at guys who have done this
1: so i guess it depends on truthfully where i see like where i'm at in my college grade first there's not i don't think all first round draft picks or all first round grades are created equally it's for, to me rashad bateman he had a year of elite production and he already showed that he could do a lot of things about a receiver position i don't know where he was going to push his draft stock he's never he's not going to run a four four you know like that's not ever going to He's not going to get to that level, and if you're not going to get to that level, you're kind of capped out in what he's going to bring to the table. Someone like uh, Rondale Moore for Purdue, who hasn't played in two years, uh, who's uh, rumored to be possibly opting out, which he's going to a bad team, but he could legitimately take his draft stock into the top 10 to 15 range if he comes back after being injured last year. To me, that's a little different. I still think he's a first-round talent, still might go in the first round, even if he does opt out. But to me, if I'm on that borderline, can really make myself some money, I go try to make myself some money. Because, again, it depends on your situation and who else is in your life. But if you're, like, on your own on a college campus, not going to interact with any, you know, elderly or anyone else, like, in your family, by all means, like, I would be out there playing, trying to get make some more money.
0: <laughs> How much do you think this is going to impact – Uh, just analysis for teams when they look at who they want to pick. I mean, I think of how many guys have emerged in their final year, even somebody on the Vikings that's very exciting for this year, Armand Watts. I mean, the guy didn't play for his first couple of seasons, and then he gets one shot. He's very good. He ends up getting drafted in the sixth round, and now looks like he can start on the Vikings potentially. I mean, there's going to be a lot of those stories that might be left in the dust if your school doesn't play or if you opt out or just if they start playing and then have to shut things down. Down.
1: yeah that's the thing we're not going to get near we're kind of screwed here at pff we're not going to get near the sample sizes we've had in recent years and scouts are kind of screwed with uh not being able to uh, they can't in during the fall make contact with these guys if they're not uh you know on, on college campuses they can't they only can go to college campuses to, uh so they won't be able to have that sort of inside info get a lot of background info so uh it's just going to be weird and, and it's going to put a lot of Teams behind the eight ball, but, but like you said, it's going to put a lot of players who were either going to have breakout years who are good. It's going to, it's going to make the draft even more of a crapshoot than it ever was if we really don't have a season this upcoming fall.
0: Right, and uh, you remember my draft nihilism, already thinking that this is random and this is why yeah. the Vikings should have 15 draft picks because you never really do know, and this is going to make it a lot harder. And I will be fascinated to see how you guys put together a draft guide <laughs> this year with all the statistics. Uh, that's going to be, that's gonna be pretty, pretty strange, I think.
1: Yeah, it's going to be weird to the fact that like if there is not a fall, like I got my player rankings right now they really like shouldn't change, <laughs> you know, like, like this is it. Like uh, the work has been done. Like I don't, I'll, I'll coast right into April then if that's the case.
0: What do you think of the idea of playing in spring?
1: I, I just don't think that's viable. You're so with, with football as demanding as it is, to ask someone to play in the spring and then play in the fall again next year. I, I just think that would be, uh, it'd be too much to ask on someone's body. And I, I, I don't think that's a good idea whatsoever.
0: So, But the one thing I think of is, like, if you were making decisions based on the few who get drafted, which is like, what, 2%, when maybe for the majority of college football players, there might be a case to wait because it's 99% who are not going to get drafted.
1: Well, I, I'm, I'm more so just saying, I guess you would have to switch it to spring then year-round. I'm more so saying, like, those guys who play in the spring, oh, so see, a yeah. sophomore who yeah. plays in the spring and then has to play in the fall again, you can't ask a college kid uh, right. to have to –
0: Get back to the conversation in just a minute, but first, have to tell you about something very cool from our friends at Soda Stick. You probably know them for Minnesota sports inspired hats and shirts and hoodies that are screen printed in Minnesota, but Soda Stick also has artwork as well. You're going to want to check out their Man Cave prints, 20 by 24 prints representing everything Minnesota sports, from awesome throwback logos to legendary plays at first base to famous disgusting acts in Green Bay. They are on sale now for just thirty five dollars you can't go out to games at the moment but you can liven up where you're watching them from you want to get soda sticks very cool prints go to soda stick.com. that's s-o-t-a-s-t-i-c-k.com and use the promo code purpleinsider for free shipping now uh Gary Kubiak revealed to us the other day that Ezra Cleveland has been practicing at guard. Now, I still find it to be mysterious whether it's right or left guard, because right guard seems weird to me that you would move him across the formation to the other side from left tackle to right guard and then ask him to figure that out with almost no off offseason. Uh, but whether it's right or left guard, what, what do you think of the idea of Ezra Cleveland potentially winning a job at guard?
1: Man, I... I... I guess – I mean, I think he will. Like, that's where he will. I would rather kick in Riley Reef at this point probably to guard and let, like, let as because you drafted him, you think he's going to be your left tackle of the future, I, I would hope, uh, where they drafted him. I think you would want to get him the reps there as soon as possible. Now, if, you, don't, if you, you test him out there and he doesn't look like he's ready, then by all means go move him to guard. But I wouldn't just throw him in at guard without ever seeing him at left tackle because – uh, I mean, Riley Reese is not going to be there too much longer. Ezra Cleveland realistically could be there the next decade. And so I, I don't think you want to mess with him, especially flipping sides with them. I think you would want to keep him where he played in college. But that's just my opinion. I, I think he'd be a very good guard, though. Uh, obviously an upgrade over Pat Elfline. <laughs>
0: Well, and that's the thing, is at the moment, Gary was saying that, you know, the four starters from last year are going to begin camp as the starters, which would include Elfline, and we don't know where Drew Samia is in this mix. We didn't see a lot of Drew Samia in his first year. He ends up playing Week 17. When I looked back at week, his Week 17 tape, it was kind of, eh, okay. Uh, I was actually more impressed with Oli Udo, of all people, who's a sixth-round draft pick. Yeah, uh, that, that's, that's a deep cut for you Um, but uh, I guess what what is it that you like about Cleveland playing guard because I also believe that he is their long-term left tackle and you would worry about stunting the growth there potentially but then again if you're a player I don't know if that is going to be make any difference like if you're good at this already and at guard you should be able to move out
1: Yeah, I think what he struggled with in college was being able to uh, deal with some quicker edge rushers and being able to sort of cut down that space between him. He was good when he got his hands on you. He's good, like, right at the point of attack. I think he plays strong. And he's obviously incredibly athletic, one of the most athletic linemen in the draft, if not the most in terms of what he can do movement skills perspective. So uh, those all sort of play on the inside as well. Like, I I think he can – That's not a huge worry for me, and it might even protect him more and and help him early on in his career from that perspective in terms of just performance, but I still do think you want to get him the reps where he ultimately will end up. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, so that, from, so that two years from now, you're still going through these growing pains.
0: Right. But from the perspective of you need someone on the interior to be able to pass block, which last year was just simply not the case. Garrett Bradbury was getting steamrolled and I don't know about you, but I have a tough time after watching his tape back. And I did a recent piece on this where I looked closely at it. I have a tough time believing that Garrett Bradbury could ever be an above average pass blocker. Like, I think that he's got a long way to go to even be average with as much as – it wasn't just the size element, but he's got very, very short arms. He's got, like, my level short arms, and he you have to be really technically awesome to be that undersized and face That's the piece that you're going to face.
1: That's the thing. There's – The whole – so him and Elfline are both for their position, like about as short as it gets. Like like Elfline is a center that they're kind of just throwing at guard, hoping that it worked out. Like he should have been a center all along his career. Bradbury just doesn't have a great anchor, a really thin like frame for an offensive lineman. Like he is a center Another guy who's a center only. And just those short arms, that's just not a good combination. That's not – like they drafted him purely because – he was the best outside zone setter, and they were going to run more outside zone. Like, that was a very, like, fit this guy into our scheme who fits well in that, but it was purely for the run game. It was never for – he was never a first-rounder in terms of pass protection. That's why we had him not in the first round. So we had him like, a third interior off lineman. So, uh, I, I agree with you. Like, him ever becoming an elite-level pass protector would be a – would be a very big surprise.
0: Yeah, and this is exactly why you have to improve your pass protection at the guard positions because Mm -hmm. uh, teams already by the end of last year were starting to line up. Sort of more three technique players at the zero and go right over Garrett Bradbury, so they could try to take advantage of him. Yeah. We saw that um, Zadarius Smith at one point was lined up over him, and it was just like a nightmare for Garrett Bradbury.
1: That game was that game. He didn't yeah. have a chance. Like Kirk Cousins didn't have a chance with the interior pressure. It was every single play.
0: Yeah, both games against the Packers went exactly that way. Uh, I got two more things for you, Mike. One is PJ Hall because uh, we kind of moved quickly past the Vikings trading for P.J. Hall and then him failing a physical. So first of all, tell me what your favorite P.J. Hall moment was as a Viking. Um, But what went wrong with P.J. Hall? Like, this is my reporter instinct here. I'm very proud of it that I said on the podcast and wrote, like, hey, look, if another team is trading a second-round draft pick in his third year, don't expect him to become John Randall, okay? Like there's a very low chance at that. But what went wrong with P.J. Hall?
1: It was never there. Like I think that's what re- what re- went wrong. Excuse me, that, that you never should have been a second-round pick in the first place. He was a guy who was drafted in the second round because he ran a four-seven at 320 pounds or whatever. That was like that's it. Like the tape, his production at, gosh, where was it? Sam, Sam Houston, Houston State. Yeah, Sam Houston yeah. State. Not good. Like, legitimately, if a guy's – if you're drafting a guy in the second round from Sam Houston State, he better be the first guy you see on every single play just mauling guys. Wasn't the case. He was actually just, like, not an impact player uh, there uh, back in college. So I think that was the biggest thing. just he was always a guy who needed so much development. Well, was a freak athlete, but just needed so much development. A lot of times those guys, it, it, they've been playing football their whole lives. You know, if they haven't developed into a good football player by the time they're 22, a lot of times it doesn't happen.
0: There's also the element of when the head coach says, yeah, his body wasn't in good enough shape last year, that could be little tiny red flag waving, I think.
1: And that's one of the things that we never know in the media. Or, like, I guess I don't want to say never know, but you don't get that behind the scenes to say – uh you know, what was this guy's work ethic? How much work was he actually putting in? How much was he actually focused on getting better? And you don't want to overreact to a guy failing at the NFL level because maybe he was just an asshole and terrible behind the scenes. And that's why he failed at the NFL level. It had nothing to do with actual physical talent on the football field. But, yeah, I, and and I think – some of that, again, you can actually like see on tape. If a guy isn't, like I said, 22 years old and not good at football, maybe he doesn't have the work <laughs> ethic or hasn't put in the work to do so.
0: Yeah, that might be a case of outsmarting yourself. Like, oh, we're, we're going we're gonna to take yeah. this guy because of the upside or whatever, but the upside isn't there because he can't actually play. And this is where beat reporters might become read-between-the-lines experts. So when you ask just the generic question, well, what do you think of rookie X? And if the answer is, holy bleep, he's good. Like when Delvin Cook came in, all the players I talked to were like, oh, my God, it's unreal. And and so it was like, okay. Uh, But then if you talk to somebody about a second or third round pick or in Laquan Treadwell's case, a first round pick, and they're like, well, you know, I mean, he's just coming along. (laughs) Okay, all right, going to keep an eye on this situation. Uh, The last thing I wanted to ask you about, Mike, was in, in this year's draft, the Vikings took, uh, several defensive linemen, and the defensive line is going to be very interesting. Now, uh, without PJ Hall in the mix, Armand Watts probably going to play the nose tackle, or maybe Shamar Stefan, or maybe Joliel Johnson. We're not really sure, but the door is wide open for someone like James Lynch to make an impact, or for the Vikings to move a Fadi inside to rush on third downs and have DJ Wanham uh, rush off the edge, or even Kenny Wilkes, who's a seventh round draft pick. What do we think of where these guys? Um, could fit in the mix right away since the opportunity is going to be there.
1: Yeah, it's not. It's not great. I'll just. I'm not going to share it. but I do think James Lynch probably ends up taking snaps at three technique. I think that's where his NFL sort of body type uh, landed him. The, the other guys, if anyone, I'm rushing off the inside. Probably Willickis uh, as opposed to Juan. Juan was more of a pure edge guy in my opinion uh, coming out. I, I think Willickis could get it done. If you're looking to kick a guy inside, it's kind of similar to Hercules Marafa in terms of like body type and how they win. So uh, that's where I thought of I it's, like I said, though, this is – it. Kind of it's kind of going to be trial by fire there on the interior because none of those guys are really inspiring too much confidence at the moment.
0: Yeah, I haven't talked to anybody who's super excited about DJ Wanham except for Andre Patterson who likes DJ Wanham. So I'm kind of like – yeah, Andre Patterson knows what he's talking about in general, but they've also taken these guys before. Jalen Holmes is a good example. Like Jalen Holmes sacked no one in college at all. And they were like, oh, no, it'll be fine. He'll just move into interior, and then he'll be great. And he wasn't. Uh, so I guess I don't know how to balance this. But with, with DJ Wanham, another guy that has the length and the arms and everything else but did not have the production.
1: Yeah, and went to the Senior Bowl. and didn't have pass rushing moves. I think that's the thing. It's like, he has not been, you're at South Carolina and you haven't learned pass rushing moves yet. It's a little worrisome. And now I guess Javon Kinlaw kind of spoke to the fact that they didn't develop, he didn't feel as though they developed him much there as a pass rusher in terms of he was like having to go learn moves on his own. So there's some of that and you never, again, it's another thing that we really don't get uh, as people on the outside in terms of what they're actually asked to do. Uh, and so, They've they've hit before though I, I think Daniel Hunter was a guy that uh, was in a similar vein even though Juan not at that level nearly at that level athletically but similar body type in terms of long athletes on the edge and you take chances on those guys because the, those that length and athleticism especially in the fourth round you take chances on those guys because that length and athleticism. Uh, is far more rare than guys who can actually, like, take on blocks. And so you hope you can coach them, take on blocks, and then you get that rare athleticism, too.
0: Who's your favorite bogus comparison that gets made all the time? Because Daniil Hunter is definitely one. Oh, the guy didn't sack anyone? He's Daniil Hunter. Hunter. Like, uh, yeah, this is what they call an outlier of a guy who didn't have any production in college. and turned. And he's also the biggest freak athlete maybe in the entire NFL. If you're ranking top ten, he's in there. Uh, so good luck finding that. And the other one that I love is an undersized three technique. Wow, well, worked for John Randall.
1: Yeah, yeah. Or the, yeah the Aaron Donald. A- oh, yeah, right. 280. Yeah. Aaron Donald's 280. What's the big deal? It's like that's not, <laughs> that's not small. It's like nah, that's very small. There's not a lot of guys doing it at 280 in the NFL.
0: Right, yeah. Aaron Donald's a great one. It's just everybody who's undersized is Aaron Donald. Yeah. No big deal. Uh, Mike Renner, I, I'm going to say this, uh, that – everyone should keep an eye out for what you guys are doing with college football even though we talked about how messed up college football is going to be but I am really excited about what you guys are about to launch with college football
1: yeah we have a pretty much the premium stats product that we offer for the NFL we will be offering for college not quite exactly the same it's actually going to have some better visual aspects to it but not uh as much in-depth data as you get with the lead package but it's going to be a lot more than what well, you can find pretty much anywhere else
0: well the two for one podcast is terrific with you and austin gale you do great work
1: and uh it's always great to catch up with you man for sure matthew it's always always a pleasure
0: before we get back to the conversation, got to let you know that Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL. With NFL TV. you can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices. Plus, Red Zone, DirecTV, Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFL TV is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use promo code Blue Wire at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code Blue Wire. Have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price that you'd never believe. They have over 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and then goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that the auction clock restarts every 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours if you go ahead and buy now deal dash is offering up our listeners 100 free bids upon sign up on top of their other discounts go to deal com and use the offer code insider deal dash dot com fm slash insider that is d-e-a-l-d-a-s-h dot fm slash insider
1: There's news in the NFL today, and it's time to break it down in the only way we know how. Hot Rock style.
0: Earl, Johnny!
1: With our spin on football headlines with a mix of frozen tundras, let's be a cold weather team, neck rolls, and grass stained jerseys. The good old fashioned
0: guts was probably the biggest difference in the game. Okay, you heard it. It is time for some more hot routes. And joining me, the author of these blazing routes, is intern Paul. What's up, intern Paul? How are you?
2: I'm I'm doing pretty good, Matt. Just working on my golf game in this uh, this summer before I go back to school, and not not working right now. So just trying to get some swings in and watching a lo- watching some golf. We're uh, recording this on Sunday, so waiting for that. major championship to finish, so I'm very golf-centric right now.
0: Really don't want to talk about it when it comes to golf. (laughs) I had one of those moments where you get in the car after and you go, you know what, I should just never do this again. Never. Nope. I should take these clubs and I should toss them in the nearest body of water and I should walk away and never think about this ever again. That is an uh, – because of my personality, it only takes like two bad shots in a row for me to get there. So let's not discuss it. Uh, but why don't you start us off? What do you got for Hot Routes today?
2: All right. Well, let's slip in a bit of news right here at the front, and then we can get into the good stuff later at the end. Um, so Mike Florio reported on Sunday that the NFL remains privately very confident that they can have a full season, that they will have a full season. Um The Vikings media, you guys have started to talk to coaches, players over the last couple weeks, so from your conversations there and just with how the full scope of the league's been going, where's your confidence level currently that a full season can take place?
0: A full season is hard um, to say with complete confidence that they will be able to get all the way through it because of the challenges that exist here, but... The fact that they were able to get through the first week of everybody showing up without massive COVID breaks across the country, I think uh, are really positive. I mean, we've seen some players go on the COVID list. It looks like it works if you even have... A false positive like Matt Stafford, I know that he was really upset about it, and I get that, but it's also better safe than sorry for him to sit out a couple of days of practice to make sure that he didn't actually have it. So to get everybody in these mini bubbles, I think that we can get to week one, and then that's where things are going to get tricky. 16 teams at that point have to travel, they have to have lots of people to travel, (laughs) And then you've got to keep track of a lot of people and make sure that no one is breaking these protocols. But I think it's really important that they saw what happened with Major League Baseball, that your team will not be able to play if you have a COVID outbreak. If you decide you're just going to go to a casino or hang out in the hotel bar without your masks on, you will get COVID and you will end up sitting out. And I don't think that they want that. And I also think that the NFL as much as you don't love control like this over somebody's, you know, what they can do in their life, the fact that they're going to find people who don't wear their masks and that they're putting in all these measures, I think gives them a decent chance at it. And if you think about it, the difference between baseball, you fly into a city and you're going to play for three days there. You're going to be there a while. And with football, I mean, you can fly in on Saturday play your football game on Sunday, be on the jet and on your way out by Sunday evening, maybe there's a better chance there. Now, I know that it's about the most contact sports you can have, but if everybody has the same thing in mind, which is get paid and get these games in, then I am feeling more confident, even if I'm not feeling more confident necessarily that this is disappearing soon in America.
2: Yeah, I think this whole time we've been saying, well, football has so much time, they can take so much from everyone else. And then it was, we were getting a little skeptical there. Did they really take much from other teams or from other sports? But I think now I'm starting to come back to that, to that maybe they did because we saw MLB struggle at the beginning. They've seemed to right the ship a little bit. You're seeing, you saw that with golf. You saw that with some other sports where they started with some positives and have had really good weeks since. So you're hoping that the NFL doesn't have to have one of those beginning things, but what it shows is if they do, other sports have been able to write the ship. You hope if football comes into something, they can do what these other leagues have done and kind of be able to make a turn for the better. Um, so I think that's what we're hoping for. Um, I still have the right. same,
0: I, well, I still have the same questions about football, though. How many COVID cases could you survive? Uh, if Kirk Cousins and Sean Mannion and Jake Browning all got, got positive tests on a Thursday, what do you do? Are you playing Nate Stanley a quarterback? Is uh, Delvin Cook playing quarterback? I, I mean, how is this going to work when it comes to the positive cases that ultimately will happen? And Eric Sugarman, the Vikings trainer, he got it. And he also said people will get it along the way. How are we going to contain it? How are we going to deal with it? And if a team has a center, get it. On Again, on a Thursday, do you have to quarantine the whole defensive line who went up against him the entire week in practice? How about everybody who was in these meetings with him? I, I still have these major, major questions going forward. But as of right now, I think that the NFL is doing a ton They couldn't do a bubble. It's really difficult to do um, unless they completely reformed how the league works into regional bubbles or a tournament or something. But they are bubbling as much as possible. My other question is, you asked about a full season, is when we get to like week eight, week nine of this same kind of quarantine feeling, bubble feeling for every team, do people start to get anxious? Do they start to go out a little bit more? I mean, even – you know, I, I wear a mask everywhere I go, of course, but even I feel like, oh, this is just kind of regular life now a little bit, and maybe you, you you lose that sense of urgency to pay attention to the details to make sure that you don't get it. So, um, you know, I, I still have concerns about the full season, but I think we're definitely getting to the start.
2: All right, and let's, let's put COVID to the side for a little bit now. Let's get into some fun stuff. We don't have to dis- discuss all that, that black cloud hanging over the NFL right now. Um, but I know you're having training camp withdrawals. You have to be having training camp withdrawals. You'd be out there right now watching them uh, do just amazing drills. So I wanted to talk to you about those drills, your favorite, goofiest, most absurd camp drill that you are really, really missing right now. What is it?
0: Well, let me tell you about the best drill to watch. I mean, not, not I'm not joking here. Like the best. If you are a fan and you get to see this, then you have seen something really awesome, which is... Corners and receivers one-on-one. When they line up before they get into 11-on-11s, and it's just Stephon Diggs versus Xavier Rhodes, and you get to see Stephon Diggs' route-running ability, and then Kirk Cousins throws in the ball just one-on-one, deep down the field, comebacks, in routes, you know, things like like all these things that really show you the incredible explosiveness and attention to detail. And then you get to see the guys who aren't on the team or won't make the team and the difference between Adam Phelan or Stefan Diggs and, you know, the guy who is undrafted free agent. And then, you know, sometimes people surprise you there, and that's where you really get the feeling, okay, this guy might actually be able to do it because he is roasting some corners every day in this drill. That is the most fun one to watch, I think, by far. Uh, The most hilarious is easily when the offensive linemen practice their cut drills. Oh, my gosh. I mean, there is a giant donut. It's a six-foot donut, and they roll it out. And the offensive lineman, a guy who's 300 pounds, has to run at it and dive and knock it over. It's super funny. And imagine if somebody was not a football fan seeing that for the first time, like they didn't know what was even trying to be accomplished. And it was just a very, very large man running at a rolling donut and knocking it over. Uh, there are a couple of videos that we grabbed from last year's practice on this and tweeted them out. Um, if people want to go back and, and try to find them, I, I'm sure if you just search my name and the word donut, you can find some of these drills. But uh, it's tremendous.
2: Yeah, I love any offensive line drills. The blocking sleds—they're just pushing them yards and yards down the field. Those any anything with offensive linemen is my favorite. And then going back to the one-on-one thing, I, I totally agree with you. When that happens, it seems like everyone, no matter what they're doing on the field, just seems to turn their head and kind of start looking. It's it's definitely the most animated parts of the practices. The guys are drawn back and forth. Obviously we've seen that um, in previous years with uh, certain players, but that that would have to be the one I was thinking of too is the one-on-one drills. It it brings out the most personality in the guys. You can tell there's a lot of monotonous drills that they go through during training camp, but that's one that both guys seem to really enjoy that they're doing. And so whenever you're getting away from just the stretching and the hitting the different bags and doing the, just the walkthroughs when they can do some of those things, I think that's when you get the best out of the guys.
0: Yep, you're right. Being able to hear it, too, if you're standing right there. I mean, so I've been on the sideline, I mean, I don't know, 50 feet from it, and you can hear the the, the feet you know, like are hitting the ground with so much power on these routes, and you can hear them making contact with each other with the pads and helmets and everything else. Um, that's impressive. Also, when Daniil Hunter does one-on-one blocking drills with anyone or Everson Griffin with anyone, it's like good luck to the offensive linemen going up against those guys in one-on-one drills with no help. That's, that's pretty fun, too, to see the raw power of players like that.
2: Well, another staple of training camp is always Hard Knocks. I am a lover of Hard Knocks. I'm sure you are too. Um, and we're still getting a Hard Knocks. Uh, they're they're filming with the Los Angeles Chargers this year. And it got me thinking, because this is obviously going to be a very interesting year for them to film and kind of to see what they're doing right now, maybe inside look that we're not exactly getting. So what would have been the most entertaining Viking season? Maybe the one since you, since you've been here. Since you've kind of gotten that inside look, what's the most entertaining Viking season that Hard Knocks could have been there for?
0: Yeah, for the training camp and and leading up to it, I mean? Yes, yes. Uh, Yes. Well, the most fascinating would have been 2016 because that's when Teddy Bridgewater gets hurt. And that's when Teddy Bridgewater also throughout training camp in the preseason looked like he was about to take that next step toward being a star. I mean, he gets his team to the playoffs and played very well in 2015, not necessarily for your fantasy team, but when you go back and you look through the tape and you look how he played to the score and didn't turn the ball over and played like a young game manager should – but he was ready to break out. There were a couple of games in the preseason where he made wow throws. One was against the Chargers, and Stephon Diggs was running a deep cross, and he put more velocity and touch on that ball than I think all of 2015. So he was taking that next step, and then he gets hurt in a non-contact injury of which there are still conspiracy theories out there that maybe somebody stepped on him and nobody wanted to ever tell the media that someone stepped on him because that player would always be the guy who stepped on Teddy Bridgewater. Um, But I mean, there were ambulances at winter park. It was a situation where Teddy could have lost his leg Um, And then you immediately turn around and trade for Sam Bradford just a couple of days later and and think about the turnaround for that for Sam Bradford, who was miserable in Philadelphia after they drafted Carson Wentz. And then here comes Bradford onto a new team, and he has to play in a game two weeks after showing up uh, to the Vikings. And then, um, you know, I know that Hard Knocks doesn't go into the season, but him winning that game to open US Bank Stadium against the Packers, like really something. Really great storylines early in that season. Of course it fell fell off later, but that single event there would have made it by far the most interesting. The only other one that I would say is probably twenty eighteen, where being at camp every day myself, we had the sense that something wasn't really right there, that the offense couldn't fully grasp or or connect with what John DiFilippo was trying to do and that the offensive line was going to be a big problem. And so Super Bowl expectations, NFL Network and ESPN, everybody's coming in every day and they're talking about Super Bowl or bust, Super Bowl or bust. And yet the real story was, you know, there's something a little bit off with this 2018 team. So I think both of those probably would have been good years.
2: Yeah. And I don't think last year would have been particularly interesting um, other than the fact that I think we would have had a full episode on the kicking situation, lots of disgruntled <laughs> Zimmer looks on the sidelines staring yeah. at the kicking competition. Um, so if we could have one episode on the Vikings training camp from last year, that's what it would have been. And you would have had Stefan Diggs kind of starting to, st- his start stuff start to boil over a little bit. You'd get probably a lot of Herb Smith, like Darren Waller treatment that he got in last year's hard knocks. So a couple different things, but yeah, I definitely agree that Teddy Bridgewater won is the is the easiest one to just kind of pick out of it and say that would have been really interesting and um, would have been definitely interesting to see how the inside of that locker room and the inside kind of handled that dynamic.
0: Yeah, the uh, Corey Vedvik is one of my favorite days I've ever covered at training camp just because the crowd gave him a standing ovation after making a 60-yarder off a tee, which every NFL kicker can do. Uh, but there was like this... Uh, I've never there's two fields out there, and one of them is kickers and punters, and you know sometimes players like uh, who are hurt working out on the side. And then there's the eleven on elevens and players going through drills and all that stuff. I've never turned around to look at the kickers and punters before Corey Vedvik showed up, and so we were watching Viking's interns try to catch punts and like you know, taking odds on whether they could catch them or not. It was a randomly exciting day. Uh, for a guy that immediately showed he was not an NFL kicker slash punter slash holder at all. So, yeah, that would have been a fun behind-the-scenes episode of Hard Knocks.
2: I was – last summer I was at training camp as a CARE 11 intern, and I was there uh, that kind of sequence right when he got there his first day. And my job was to keep a camera
0: <laughs> on
2: Corey Redvick all day long. We had another camera that was doing other things, but I was solely um, just – the coin that big beat absolutely any, yeah, we yeah, were all I on had that, the that beat. Day. you know so he he's got a special place in my heart for the <laughs> amount of the amount of footage i have of him kicking and stretching and punting just just doing it all so <laughs> he, i'll always i'll always remember that does that, uh, that footage still exist i would love to tweet that out and be like what a day it has, it has what a to day it on was some some internal computer in the care 11 servers if they haven't deleted it already maybe they've scrapped everything Corey Vedvik off their, (laughs) their computers, which I wouldn't be surprised about, but um, moving on to our next, our next um, hot route Um, ESPN and NBC recently released their lists of potential hall of famers. I saw you tweeting about it a little bit. Um, So I wanted to just kind of take that to the Vikings angle. I'm going to give you a couple names of current Vikings. You tell me percentage chance they think we could make the hall of fame. Maybe they would make your Hall look very good that you had earlier this offseason. Um, so I think the first one is kind of the obvious one, Daniel Hunter. He seems, at least in my mind, to have the highest percentage. Maybe he's not at the body of work that Harrison Smith has at this point, but he seems to have the potential to, to be that type of Hall of Fame player. So if you could put a percentage on it, where would you put it?
0: I'm going to double-check something right now, just to make sure that if I give you this stat and it blows your mind that I am 100% accurate in giving it about Daniil Hunter because we know that, you know, last year um, he set the record for the most sacks by the age of 25, and so he is, as we record this, 25 years old and 285 days, okay, which, again, is sort of mind-blowing. Afadi Adenabo is 26 years old and 123 days, so Afadi Adenabo, who we're talking about is a, well, hey, this player could uh, emerge here. Daniil Hunter is younger than him by almost a year. <laughs> and he has 50 sacks or whatever already in his career. I mean, that is the type of 54 and a half sacks Hunter has. That is the type of career trajectory that says Hall of Fame, where you're setting records, where you're doing things that no one has ever done before and somebody like him who came into the league so young could play for 10 more years in the NFL. He could triple this total, and uh, he could have a chance, honestly, because of the way he keeps track of his body. He's had no injuries so far in his career. I mean, he could be trending toward competing for all-time sack numbers if he stays on this trajectory. You never know what could happen to somebody, but if I were to say who has the very highest chance it's Daniil Hunter. I, I'm i never going to try to predict the future and say 99% chance or something. But, I don't know, 75%, 80% chance? This is exactly the way that Hall of Famers usually look. So, I, I, I mean, I think there's a great chance of Hunter being in the Hall of Fame.
2: Yeah, I just looked it up where he ranks career all-time in his sack numbers. He's already 154th. If he gets around 10, 13 sacks, he's going to be in that top 100 after this season. So If you think he still even has, say, five more years of peak production, he's going to vault himself into that top 50, that top 40. And then if he keeps going, which he has a very good capability of doing, that's when he's going to get in that upper echelon. So I think that 80% is kind of that number. That 20% is just maybe he gets hurt, maybe something happens where his production falls off. But he seems like a sure, as close to what the Vikings have right now is a sure thing for the Hall of Fame. And, definitely probably already locked onto the hall of very good for the Vikings. Number yes. two, yeah, uh, I agree. Uh, Harrison Smith, um, more of a longevity case in his, in his instance and see how f- much longer he can do it. But you've talked about it on previous pods in the last couple of weeks, just the amount that he does that maybe always doesn't show up in the, in the stats about how much quarterbacks maybe think he's going one way and he's in the complete opposite spot. So that's a little bit different if you don't have the the numbers, which he still has a lot of great numbers, but where would you put him in the percentage chance?
0: Yeah, this is where Pro Football Focus is going to help a lot of guys because it really sharpens our view on how good we know they are as people who watch them all the time. I mean, any Vikings fan will tell you Harrison Smith is one of the best players in the NFL, but if you didn't have somebody sort of an outside source looking at the details as opposed to just, interception numbers, tackle numbers. I mean, what like what do those do for us with a safety? You've really got to see it with Harrison Smith. The thing I wonder about with him is, does he get the recognition? Because I, there are a lot of cases where he doesn't make very high on certain lists, NFL 100, where he isn't... A, I mean, in 2017, I thought he had a good case for defensive MVP of the entire NFL, and he did not make the first cut of pro bowlers. I mean, it's just kind of... I don't know. He goes under the radar. He is um, Harry the Hitman, right? I mean, that's just like what people think of is is sort of this understated guy, this quiet guy who is not a self-promoter. He's not on commercials or anything else like that. You know, he is not out there all the time having people write articles about him. And he's played on a defense with a lot of stars. And when you play on a defense with a Daniel Hunter and Everson Griffin, Xavier Rhodes got a lot of attention Uh, over the last couple of years when he was an elite corner that Harrison maybe didn't get the credit entirely he deserved. And I wonder if that holds him back from being in the Hall of Fame. But, I mean, two, three more years like this, and he will put up a case for it. And I asked the PFF guys, and, uh, you know, they they tend to think that he should be right there because he's been a top three player at his position all the time. And I think he brings even more value than just someone who gets – interceptions like it, the Anthony Harris is the perfect example Harris is great really really good but he doesn't do everything that Harrison Smith does and I think that goes for a lot of safeties in the NFL
2: yeah I think Smith almost needs some sort of like breakout moment whether that's like a a big interception in the postseason to kind of just like get him on the map for some of the other teams that or some of the other, just nationally like he's been so solid, but you're right, he doesn't have that recognition that so many other players get. So if he were, say, the Vikings make it back to a NFC championship game, and he comes up in big moments to where people are remembering his name a little bit more, you think that could even help him a little bit, because just going off the numbers and how important he is to a defense, he's as valuable as anyone in the league, really, on a de- on a for a defensive team. So he seems to just need, like, when you're putting together that hall of fame highlight reel, he needs that one clip that is going to be at the beginning of it or at the end of it, that really people remember. So I think that that's where he just needs that little bit more, but I'd say he's right around like a 40% chance. You can see it kind of going either way. I'd say he needs to do a little bit more right now. So that's why he's, probably below half and he's getting up there in age. So you just don't know what you have in these last couple of years.
0: It's a good point because someone like Troy, Troy did a lot of the same stuff, but he played with flair. He was very popular. He had the hair and everything else. And he was in a lot of big moments. He was in super bowls, super bowls, super bowls. Uh, I don't know if he played in two, but he was uh, in playoff games all the time. He was making big interceptions in playoff games. And with Harrison Smith, it's not, his fault that they haven't been in a ton of playoff games. But since the start of his career, see, they lose in 2015, didn't make it 2016, didn't uh, make it in 2018. And then last year, one playoff game. And the, the Minneapolis Miracle Game will always be remembered for Case Keenum and Stephon Diggs. Everybody else just goes kind of in the wash with that one. So I think it's a great point that just by circumstance, he is not, thought of it that way if he had one pick six in a playoff game that everybody remembered then it would probably up his profile but it seems like it's only the people who really really pay close attention who know how good he is and that makes it harder for you to get in the Hall of Fame
2: yeah he was kind of the last name I had to have a really good shot you know you could maybe make a case for Adam Thielen if he keeps going for a while but there really wasn't anyone else that I felt comfortable kind of putting in that tier. I I don't know if you have any other names that you think you'd want to throw out.
0: I do. uh, And this might surprise people, but Kirk cousins. I mean, Kirk cousins is putting up numbers that year in and year out that are predictable for the most part. And he's always kind of in that same range. He has incredible health. I don't think he's ever missed a start for an injury and now a playoff win if he gets more than that and continues on this trajectory of year in and year out putting up big numbers then there will be a conversation about whether Kirk Cousins belongs in the Hall of Fame eventually he's going to play until he's 40 i'm sure like he's just not had these catastrophic injuries he's not been beat up i mean think about the difference between him and Rodgers for injuries Kirk Cousins i mean nicks and cuts Aaron Rodgers has had the broken collarbone, he's had a bunch of other things go wrong for him because he holds on to the ball longer, he tries to make, you know, more athletic plays where Cousins, you know, seems to know how to uh, chuck and duck. I think he said in his first press conference uh, with the Vikings, but you think about that. I mean, if you continue to put up those numbers compare him to say Philip Rivers. Let's say that Cousins has a 13 and 3 season mixed in with a lot of 8 and 8, 7, 9, 9 and 7 type of years and he gets to an NFC championship and plays really well that year and is in the MVP conversation, let's say that happens, which after last year, it's in the realm of possibility that it can happen when he was already ranked, I think, sixth by PFF and top five in quarterback rating and things like that. So it is in the realm of possibility. If he gets you there, if he – I mean, Matt Ryan is a good example here, gets his team to a Super Bowl – then you're having a debate about it. And I think that those are the comparable potential names for cousins down the road would be a Matt Ryan and a Phillip Rivers and a Matt Stafford, too, where you got huge numbers, longtime franchise quarterback, and you have to decide, well, did he, did he win enough? Did he do enough? Um, so I'm not saying that there's like the same percentage chance as Daniel Hunter, who I think is trending very much toward that. But is there a world where he makes the Hall of Fame? Yeah, I think there is.
2: Yeah, you mentioned it right at the end. The name I was going to bring up is Stafford. I feel like he's kind of the all stats, no no results thing. And when you just see the trajectory of his career, like, well, he's going to break all these passing yard records and he's going to get up there and touchdowns. Like, how do we decide that? Because he hasn't had that playoff success or really any playoff experience. Um, and so obviously Cousins numbers are lower than that, but his playoff experience is higher and he's won a playoff game now. And so it's like, how how do we kind of judge Stafford how do we judge Cousins so he's another one of those guys that I think the public perception just needs to shift on him a little bit because even though we've kind of debunked it a little bit he I think nationally it's still like can he win the big game can he win the primetime game and so that would have to shift a little bit but I would yep. say if he gets one of those 13 and three seasons he's comparable to a Phil Rivers who it seems like most people feel good about putting in the Hall of Fame so yeah it's just going to take him a a sev- a several more years of pretty decent play. But then, yeah, I I agree that he could be up there.
0: But he's, what, 31 now? He's going to turn 32. I, it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up playing 8 to 10 more seasons in the NFL. And if any of those 8 to 10, because you talk about the narratives, if you any of those 8 to 10 that he reaches a Super Bowl, it blows up the narrative that he can't win. Um, and, uh, I don't know if it did that f- for Matt Ryan, but I think that it did like Matt Ryan didn't blow a 28 to three lead. Matt Ryan got them a 28 to three lead and Matt Ryan has a great chance in my mind of being a hall of famer. Well, there's your comparison. A lot of years of Matt Ryan in Atlanta are seven to nine, eight and eight, same with Phil Rivers, uh, with the chargers. And now Rivers has never gotten them into a super bowl, but he has gotten them to what an AFC championship, maybe once. Maybe not.
2: Yeah. I'm trying to figure out what, when he was playing on the torn ACL. I don't think that was an AFC championship game, but
0: it is interesting that, I mean, he's never taken his team all the way and he doesn't have that thing. Like, can he really win? Um, But cousins does. But if any of those years go right, then it's going to blow up all those narratives for a very long time. And then you've got a shot and that's, I am not telling you that Kirk Cousins is one of the three or four best quarterbacks. He will not at any point in his career be a top five quarterback. Every, every year of his career, you'll be able to go through and say, well, this guy's better, this guy's better, this guy's better. But it's almost like the baseball player who accumulates a, a long period of time of being the seventh best outfielder in major league baseball or the 10th best starting pitcher in major league baseball who ends up with 3000 strikeouts or something like that. Like that might be Kirk Cousins. So, I mean, I wouldn't put it at a super high percentage chance. I might go like 20% right now, but I think it's, it's within the realm of possibility. We also don't know how stats are going to change, how offenses are going to change in the position over the next 10 years. But it's, it's interesting to to look forward and say you know what this guy's been so healthy that it gives you a shot if he if he remains with especially with a team like the Vikings that always seems to put a lot of good people out out on the field you know I mean even twenty twenty one we could set expectations at being right back in the playoffs and then he's got that shot uh, of uh, making it happen so it's interesting
2: yeah and Cousins hasn't had the the Julio Jones for that Matt Ryan has had or. The Calvin Johnson that Matt Stafford had early in his career. So, if he definitely had one of those, you could see those chances go even higher. Finally, our final hot route I'll go at is we've discussed at length about the Vikings kind of having a wide range of outcomes, um, uh, especially like the Eric Eager pod. He had him at six and ten. You had him closer to ten to six, ten and six. Just kind of we can see a lot of possibilities for him. And then you had Jason Wild on your pod about the Packers, and he had talked about them with similar potential. So. It got me thinking. What NFL teams do you feel like are the most volatile with how their season could go? They could be really good, and they could be terrible. Where Where are you at on that?
0: Uh, I'm going to start AFC. I think that the Pittsburgh Steelers could be really good or really terrible. Um, ben Roethlisberger coming back off the injury, of course, he is in the best shape of his life. Paul, I don't know if you know, heard from that. Uh, that best is one in like 13 or 14
2: years. It's, that it's that amazing. survived
0: COVID. That was not killed off by COVID, the fact that football players will say they're in the best shape of their lives, even though they had the very strange offseason. But you could see Roethlisberger coming back and playing really, really well and having some players emerge as weapons and uh, Pittsburgh still winning the division, maybe. I mean, the Ravens are by far the favorite, but being a playoff team being really good. Or you could see Roethlisberger just being totally washed and that roster not being strong enough overall overall. And, you know, maybe Mike Tomlin loses the locker room or something. I don't know. Uh, I think Tomlin is too good of a coach to go four and 12. But if he gets bad quarterback play again, you're probably not talking about a very good season. Cleveland is also in here. Denver is also in here. Um, Indianapolis is in this same thing because if Phillip Rivers can't play anymore, then they could go six and 10 after, you know, actually having a very strong team. In the NFC... It's a little bit harder. I mean, because I, I feel like I have a good sense for where everyone stands, but maybe that team is Atlanta. Like maybe they're the sneaky team that could surprise us and go 11 and 5. And we're like, wait, we thought that, you know, that division was going to be owned by New Orleans. And all of a sudden Atlanta snuck up on them and New Orleans went 8 and 8 or something. Um, Philadelphia, maybe you could actually see being kind of bad. Um I don't know. Yeah, do you have, do you have NFC ones? Because I, I I have a good feeling on the AFC ones, like Denver. If Drew Locks stinks, they have a really darn good team, but they could still go four and twelve. If Drew Lock is great, uh, small sample. I I don't know where to stand on Drew Lock. If he's great, then he becomes you know uh, their longtime starting quarterback, and they win ten games and they're second in that division to KC. I mean, there's a lot of ways that that one could go, but NFC.
2: I kind of feel like i got teams locked in. Detroit, would Detroit be your top pick? Well, for the NFC, what came to mind, and it's a little bit of a stretch, and it's not exactly one team. It's more of a division, but I, the NFC West feels so volatile in how teams could finish. Like any anyone in there, San Francisco, Seattle, like the Rams, I don't have a good sense on. The Cardinals, I don't really know what to do with them. But if you told me the Cardinals did really well and they were 10-6, and 11-5, or they just kind of got swallowed up by that division Mm, just because of how many other good teams there are. I could see one team not necessarily being that bad, but they just get punished by their division that they kind of fall off. So that was where I was going. Another one, kind of an outside chance because I think the team around him is really good, but we saw some, just a little bit of some troubling things from Drew Brees to end the season with his deep ball and things like that. And if he's, just doesn't have a solid season. I don't think they'd fall to one of the worst teams in the league, but I think they're expected to be up there with, you know, if Tampa's really good or something yeah. like that. So if he falls off, I think that could be kind of a surprise. Maybe they're not horrible, but eight and eight, seven and nine, just not something you'd expect after what we've seen from the Saints the last couple of years.
0: The right answer is that Tampa Bay, because you don't know if their coaching staff will cheat to help Brady or not.
2: A-O! Got to get, got to get the Tom Brady slander in. Thought, thought
0: about, I, I mean, I actually had this thought, like, oh, he doesn't have a coach who cheats anymore. Is that gonna, is that gonna work? (laughs) Um, Tampa Bay is a really good roster, though. This isn't just Brady shows up and you know you're like, oh well, he's that would be like Favre going to the Jets. The Jets weren't that great, and Favre goes there and he gets hurt. It, It just doesn't work out very well. Um, this, this is a great team that Tom Brady is going to. And that's where it's hard to see them going like six and 10 or or whatever. I think it is a Arizona is an interesting answer. Uh, I just feel like I I have a lot of these teams pinned in and Steven Ruiz and I talked about this the other day on the show that the NFC is just not super compelling. If we're mentioning Detroit as most interesting teams, then yikes. That's just, you know, I mean, that's, yeah, I think the, the North is the North has its own storylines, but I've got. I've kind of feel like I know where I am with a lot of teams. Maybe maybe Seattle, but Russell Wilson gives you a floor. So if you if they have a terrible season, it all blows up in their face. You're still, you know, ten and six or
2: something or nine and seven. So
0: Good. Conrad- think, honestly,
2: yeah. Well, on, one more thing before we go. Honestly, I think it might be the two teams that we've spent the most time talking about is the Vikings and the Packers. We kind of go by them, but now as we're talking more about it, they seem to have maybe the nuts. They could have the kind of not steady quarterback play that we've kind of looked at in the other divisions and said, well, that gives them a floor. Um, we know Kirk Cousins gives us a certain floor, but it's lower than I think others would be. And if the rest of the division is bad, one of these teams, Packers or Vikings, could really jump up, and it might not even be a product of how good they are. But the fact that Mitch Trubisky still on the Bears, still doing his thing, Matt Patricia, that whole situation isn't yep. going well, and one of them could get vaulted. So that, that was my final point.
0: Well, a very well done, Hot Routes. I feel like um, you've, you are a guy who has gone out to the driving range and spent three hours a day on the driving range. That's like you practicing your Hot Routes. And so now after you've gotten the reps and the muscle memory of doing Hot Routes, You've really got it here, Paul. Great job.
2: Let's hope this isn't my career round and then, like my golf game, I go out next week and – The
0: worst. It's the worst. Yeah, so I hate let's, that. let's
2: hope that doesn't happen.
0: That, that is the most frustrating thing. This, this exact thing happened uh, to me this summer, and it happened to my buddy Chad Graff, who comes on the show. Chad and I played. He had all the luck in the world. Everything went right for Chad that day. And then he uh, got on, uh, or I texted him about it. I was like, how was your next round? Garbage. Terrible. Of course. Like, Mm yeah, that's how it goes. That's golf. That's why no one should ever play it. Uh, (laughs) All right. Intern Paul, great stuff. And thank you all for listening to this episode of Purple Insider. Sports. Are coming back. So are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball finally kicking off, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners Bet Online. Check out all the odds, features, and props to bet on, all available at 24 7. So with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven time champion Robert Ory. See what they had to say and what it's like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all of your odds and up-to-date sports news. And remember to use the promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering expert.